Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Peter Gabbett Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Timothy Hankst, and today is July 15th, 2020, which means I'm on day 214 in a row of 365 promised episodes that brings you unedited, unscripted, improv, news, movies, music, sports, food, entertainment, and all things except politics. New movie review, folks. Palm Springs, or as I like to call it, Groundhog's Day 2. This movie was the exact same thing as Groundhog's Day. Basically, all it is is Andy Samberg wakes up every single day on the same day of his girlfriend's friend's wedding. So he is sleeping at a hotel and he wakes up every morning to his girlfriend standing in front of him who he knows at this point is cheating on him because throughout each one of the repetitive days, he sees her in a bathroom with another guy. He knows everything about everybody because he's lived this day a million times and he finally gets someone to join him in this world of reliving the same day over and over. And it's this girl who really hates it, of course, because she realizes that living the same day over and over would mean... Life is completely meaningless, and even though you can do whatever you want in that one day, it doesn't affect the next day or the day before or anything, which means, of course, it's always meaningless. He does the same exact thing as Bill Murray in Groundhog's Day by trying to kill himself a bunch of times. He does the same exact thing as Bill Murray by by pointing out things that he knows about every single person that might, you know, blows their mind because they feel like they've never met him by giving a perfect speech at this wedding and knowing exactly what to say to win over the crowd and win over these people. And it's just the same thing as Groundhog's Day. And yet I watched it all the way through because I happen to love Groundhog's Day. I think the concept is phenomenal. And I thought it would always be cool to have a number two, but apparently this isn't even supposed to be associated with it at all. It's a separate movie But it's the same exact thing. So I must say, for my review of the movie Palm Springs, I give it a 5 out of 10 because it was entertaining. I I will admit, any concept where you live the same day over and over and over and you have to figure out a way to stop that from happening is intriguing to me. It's interesting enough. I'm going to follow it. I'm going to watch it. Andy Samberg is hilarious. Basically, everything he does is funny. His face is so funny looking that it just makes whatever he does even more funny. And there's some really funny parts of the movie itself. There is some sort of a rom-com feel to it where he's trying to win over this girl. And I'm usually not really into the romance flicks. But this movie was good enough. I would say give it a whirl if you're bored, if you've got nothing else to watch. If you've got some really cool movies that you have lined up first... Definitely hit that up, and only if you have time, watch Palm Springs. Again, 5 out of 10, it's pretty good, even though it's a ripoff of an older movie that's better. So Mike Tyson, folks, who we know never ever goes away, every week there's something else, and this time it'll be Shark Week with Mike Tyson, as people saw him setting up a shark cage on the beach and we're wondering what he was doing and in fact he's going to be filming a show with the discovery channel about him and sharks 
and overcoming his fear of them, which he says is about the same as overcoming his fear of stepping into the ring again at age 54. Now, I don't know why he's doing any of this, because I'm sure the guy could just make appearances at bars or have like a podcast or something and just make enough money that he'll never have to work again, but instead he feels like he is destined to get back in and rumble with someone, in this case it'll be Jaws. In a show called Mike Tyson vs. Jaws, I don't know how this is possible, I don't know what's really going to transpire here, I imagine him like in a pool with a shark and him like boxing the shark underwater and knocking him out, but I'm pretty sure that's not what this will be. It's the Discovery Channel, so let's face facts. It's probably going to be some sort of learning experience combined with a little bit of freaking out Mike Tyson, and that'll be fun to watch anyways because, I mean, what scares a guy who could knock out anybody? You know, I guess sharks. And he said he's putting himself in this position pur purposely because he is afraid and he wants to face his fears, so check it out. On sh during Shark Week, it's going to be Mike Tyson versus Jaws on the Discovery Channel. You're going to have to do a bit of research to find out the time that it starts. That I don't know, but I will say it sounds pretty interesting, and I, I am certainly going to watch this if I, if I catch wind of it again on the day of. I'm watching Mike Tyson battle a great white shark, supposedly. Probably not. Burger King is on a mission to reduce cow farts. They're the champions. First, they wanted to get the, you know, the no beef patties, the Impossible Whopper or whatever that was called. Now, they're working on feeding their cows lemongrass to avoid flatulence and giving us meat that's still beef but comes from cows that fart less. Yeah, that's... That's what they're doing. Now, I'm not sure why, if I was the CEO of Burger King, I would care about this. But I guess, or my guess is, that he wants to have the side of everybody supporting him in his mission to make money. Him or her, I don't know who it is. And I suspect they're doing this because people who otherwise may boycott Burger King because of the cow farting... And people like AOC and just people that are against greenhouse gases and emissions would still be down to mow a whopper if they knew the cow that they're eating farted less. Yeah, this, this is the news we have now, is stuff like this. I mean, there's all kinds of sick and twisted things happening across the world, and yet... We're talking about how the beef patties at Burger King come from cows that fart less because they feed them lemongrass. I mean, what is going on here? What, you, what, what is this? What am I even doing? First of all, Burger King's terrible. Now, I worked there, and I saw some nasty stuff go down. Now, I'm not going to say it because in case there's somebody who's listening who does like Burger King, hey, feel free to keep enjoying it. I will say this. Between Burger King and Subway, two fast food places I've worked, the worst things I witnessed were way worse at Subway than what I witnessed 
at Burger King. I personally did not make the food at Burger King, however, so perhaps that is why I didn't witness such disgusting atrocities before it was served to people. But I must say, Burger King, garbage. The list of fast foods, there's like, most of them are garbage. McDonald's, garbage. Jack in the Box, garbage. Burger King, garbage. Carl's Jr., Riley's Burger, all that stuff is garbage. Only In-N-Out Burger, or if you're in the Pacific Northwest, Burgerville, or if you're in Texas, Whataburger, those are decent fast food chains. You can get something there that won't be complete slop. But you know it's a step above all that, and they need to have these in more places. I first ate at one in Arizona. It's called Culver's. This place is delicious. Butter burgers is what they serve. I don't know what that means. Maybe they just cook them in butter the whole time, just drench them in butter. Whatever happens, the burgers are spectacular, and they have these absolutely fantastic concoctions called concretes, which you can make with all this delicious custard, frozen custard they have, and all these different toppings, and it's better, I'm telling you, it's better than a milkshake or a whatever they have at McDonald's, McFlurries, or any of that stuff. It's better than that, and the service is great, and the sauces are good. Culver's, ladies and gentlemen, keep an eye out for that. If you find one, eat there. You will not be sorry. Burger King sucks. Now, folks, I live right by the border of Mexico here in San Diego, and some people very north of me especially, a lot of people I know from Oregon, believe there should not be a border wall and the borders should be open. Now, there's a major reason why that's completely wrong and there absolutely has to be a border and there has to be a wall separating the two countries and I will tell you why right now. In June alone, $92 million worth of drugs were seized at the border attempting to enter the United States right next to where I live at the San Ysidro border crossing. Now, that's an insane amount of drugs, 92 million in drugs. Now, even if you don't care about the drugs, you're like, oh, whatever, people are going to get their drugs one way or another, and, and that's the way you think. Think about it like this instead. $92 million of American money will be spent on those drugs and that money will get sent and be placed into the hands and given the power to cartel people in Mexico who murder and steal and rob and do the most messed up things in human traffic and smuggle drugs in order to get their money, which we're going to what, forfeit over to them? $92 million is a lot. That not only destroys our economy by having it completely just sent to another country, but it destroys the people who are using the drugs. Now, here's a list in June alone of the numbers in pounds of drugs that were seized at the border. And this is just seized. This isn't even the number that actually made it here, which is probably way higher. But here's the numbers anyways for your enjoyment. Marijuana, not a big deal, right? Almost 35,000 pounds of weed. Now, that's that doesn't even matter because, let's face facts, weed's not going to kill anybody, and we can get our own weed here anyways. So I don't even know who or why they are smuggling weed still to this day. It's stupid. It's probably swag. 
it, it actually only makes me mad because I'm sure it's shitty weed. But the other drugs are the real problem here. And here's the crazy numbers on those. Seven and a half thousand pounds of methamphetamine was seized at the border in one month, in June alone, by the Border Patrol. So you say there should be no border. And that means an additional seven and a half thousand pounds of meth would just nicely cross over and be sold to people here, causing overdoses and families to be torn apart and giving access to young kids the ability to get really high-grade meth that's made in super labs in Mexico. Well, that's pretty stupid. That's a dumb way to think. Also, 700 pounds of cocaine. Now, don't get me wrong. You can dabble in cocaine here or there and still live a decent life. But most people don't do that. They do it, and then they want to do it all the time because it's great, and then they do do it all the time, and it ruins their life. Or they switch to crack and then end up doing heroin. Oh, by the way, heroin? 165 pounds of heroin was seized in the month of June alone. 165 pounds, people. Imagine how many overdose deaths that can cause. Just imagine how many people who have never even done heroin and do it once and then die, that could kill. Or somebody who's coming out of rehab who's like, oh man, I never want to do heroin again. But then a new shipment comes across the border because you think there shouldn't be a border wall. And this guy's like, oh man, I'm just going to do it one more time and do the same amount that I used to do. And that's what always happens. And then they overdose and die. You want to know what else came in the quantity of 165 pounds? 165 pounds of fentanyl crossed the border and was seized. And that, we don't even know how much got over here. So you always think they probably make like three or four times as much that gets actually sent over here compared to the amount that gets seized. So probably a few hundred pounds of fentanyl actually made it in the single month of June. And only 165 pounds was actually seized. And that's an insane amount of overdoses and deaths, dude. You don't understand how many one pound can kill. You know, if you even touch a package that contains fentanyl, you can overdose and die. This stuff is scary business. And you think there should be no wall separating the area where these drugs are flowing right next to my house. I'm afraid you're mistaken. If you want to say anything about racism or that it's just not fair that people shouldn't be able to come over here, well, if you can guarantee the stop, the stopping and the flowing of drugs right next to my backyard, then I'm with you. I do agree. Anyone should be able to come here for a better life. It's a better place to live. But if you can't guarantee that, which you cannot, because obviously, even with a huge, huge network of border patrol all along the entire border, we're still seizing insane amounts of drugs and finding tunnels underneath where they're smuggling human beings to become hookers and prostitutes and all this messed up stuff. Those things still happen and will because of the corruption on the other side of the border. And because of that, you can't guarantee anybody's safety unless you have a wall and you have a border. So call it what you will, folks. There's your numbers. 
mass amounts of drugs in only one month being seized at the border. Insane. 92 million. You cannot argue with me that that is not acceptable and that we need to have some sort of security to avoid that from happening. Folks, it's time for the portion of the Peter Gabbett podcast we've all been waiting for. And that is Real Stories, brought to you by me, Peter Timothy Hankst, and Barbecue-ion. That's B-B-Q-U-S-I-O-N. And today, folks, I'm going to tell you the story about a good buddy of mine and his school-made hookah, which gained him the name Hookah Steve. Now, I've never called him Hookah Steve. I've always called him Squeedum. He's a good friend of mine by the name of Steve Palmer. And this guy spent the majority of one of his classes in high school, which was like pottery or something, maybe it was even junior high school, creating what was eventually a big, fat, ceramic hookah bong. Now, I don't know if his teachers knew that this is what he was making, but either way... He did it, and it worked phenomenally well. So one day, in the backyard of his house where there was a shed where we would smoke, as kids, we were always afraid that somebody would see us. Like, I don't know how we thought somebody was always looking in other people's backyards because there never was anybody. But you're paranoid as a kid. So you go through great lengths lengths to avoid getting seen. And in this case, we would all sit in his little shed in his backyard, huff this hookah, and then hide it away, and then go out about our business. But on this specific day, there was a kid who joined us by the name of Robert. He was what you might call an emo, gothic-looking kid. I will be honest that we picked on this kid. He rode our bus. We don't even know where he lived, but it wasn't anywhere near us, so I don't know why he even rode our bus. It was out in the boonies. But he rode a bus that day with us all the way to our neighborhood, in order to join us for a smoke session. Now, he claimed he had 20 bucks and that he was ready to buy a sack and show us that he truly does smoke weed. And we're like, all right, whatever, man. We have picked on this kid for quite a while and, you know, might as well give him a chance to join us and see what he's all about. So he he comes with his, you know, all black sweater with like little metal pins and things that he has stuck into it and it's like shredded halfway and he's got like, you know, black eyeliner on and just looks like a tool, like the most tooliest tool you've ever seen. And he gets off the bus and joins us in our neighborhood and we get him a $20 bag of wheat. So he starts packing a bowl in Scuba Steve's in not Scuba Steve, my mistake, in Hookah Steve. I pulled something out of Big Daddy just then. Great movie, by the way. Hookah Steve. Put something in Hookah Steve's hookah. Packs a bowl up. We all start smoking it like we do, just getting ripped out of our minds. We loved blazing. But this kid, he gets high on a level that I've never seen anybody to this day get and begins to think... He's in a dream. Now, I'm not kidding about this. At first, I thought he was just trying to be funny or just being weird because he was a weirdo. But he starts telling everyone to wake him up. He's like, wake me up. Wake me up. I'm dreaming. I need help. Wake me up. And 
And I'm just like, I don't know how to even deal with this kid, dude. I'm not going to wake him up. I, I, or I don't know. I'm not touching him. This kid's a weirdo. Get away from me or I will knock you out if you even come near me. Like, we don't take lightly to people acting like douchebags when they smoked with us back then. We wanted you to either be cool or get the hell out. And this kid was not being cool. He was being a weirdo. We end up going into the front yard of Squeedum's house out near the street where the kids go out there and start skating and hanging out because that's what we do when we were stoned. And this dude starts running around person to person yelling and crying telling us to wake him up. He seriously believes that he's in some sort of a dream. Now, this stuff is freaking everybody out. We're like, oh, we don't know how to deal with this kid, you know? We're not babysitters. We don't we don't have, like, a magic potion that can sober somebody up when they're acting like a douchebag when they're stoned. But one thing we did have was the ability to be super cruel because we were kids, and that's what we would do. So, sadly, Robert ended up in the center of a circle where we were throwing pine cones at him, and one person would wait till he turned his back and throw a pine cone at the back of his head, and then he would turn around and be like, Who did that? Wake me up! I don't know where I am! And just would act like such a tool. It was so embarrassing that we had to pelt him with pine cones. There was no other choice. As kids, we felt it was our duty to stop the douchebaggery that was occurring from Robert because he had smoked maybe one or two small hits out of a hookah in Squeedum's backyard. Now, this was just embarrassing to the point where we eventually, we were so mean to this kid, he ended up walking the street somewhere and leaving, and we were like, oh, we don't even know how he was supposed to get home because he didn't know where he was. He was way far away from his own house because he would get dropped off like less than halfway from where the bus left the school to our neighborhood, and the bus went really far to get to our neighborhood because we went to Hillsborough High School. It was super far out in the boonies. And we lived in Aloha. It made no sense, but they just wanted to mix in some suburban kids or whatever. So this dude's house was super far away, and he starts walking the opposite direction. And I'm waiting for, like, somebody to feel bad enough to at least tell him he's not going the right way. Nobody does. So we hang out in front of Squeedum's house for, like, maybe two or three hours. That's what we would always do when we were stoned. Just wait till he started to come down. And I'm not kidding. Three hours later, we see Robert in the distance walking the way towards his actual house now, having walked the opposite way, going God knows where, ending up wherever he did, possibly in somebody's yard or house, screaming about being asleep and needing to be woken up and dreaming and all this stuff. We have no idea what the three hours of his crazy life must have been before he finally started walking the direction of his house, which was at the end of the street. So we could see him and somebody yelled at him or whatever, but he just scurried away so he didn't have to face us again. Now, obviously, this guy never wanted to hang out with us again, but it was seriously his fault for assuming that he could be a part of the cool crowd and smoke a whole bunch of weed with us because no. You can't smoke weed. If you've never done it before, don't try and roast a fat bowl out of Squeedum's hookah in his backyard with the cool kids. You're going to go down quick. You're going to make an ass out of yourself. And you're going to get punked, which is so what happened. And to this day, I still actually really do feel bad about that weird kid, Robert. Now, I found out he ended up being... I don't know what he was. You know, like... One of the... One of the sexual preferences that I don't understand, like where you love objects and things like that. So I found out he, he was one of those weirdos anyways. Doesn't really matter to me. 
Lesson to be learned here is do not try and kick it with the cool kids if you're nowhere near the level of them because you will get made fun of. And, you know, I'm sorry, buddy. It's just the way it is. Thank you very much for listening to the Peter Gabbett Podcast today, folks. It means the world to me to have listeners like you. Special shout-out to my friend Steve Palmer, who I have made so many great memories with in my lifetime, and I'm going to make another soon next month when we go camping. And I will talk to you all tomorrow. Now, in honor of that weird emo hand-cutting freak that we got really stoned and he made an ass out of himself... I figured I'd play a Linkin Park song. Kind of goes along with that sort of lifestyle. Don't get me wrong, I was a fan of Linkin Park too. And here's a song called Numb, which I somewhat like. And I figure you know what it is anyway, so you may as well hear it again for the first time in a while, I'm sure. Shoot.